17. That's the weekend away place. Looks pretty nice, doesn't it? Uh, the weather will be similar, I am sure. Okay, uh, John chapter 17. Uh, if, you can, if you've got a Bible, please open it today. If you're a visitor, it's great to see you. Um, just to introduce myself, I'm Josh. I'm part of the leadership team. And uh, we're, what, what we are doing as a church is we're going through the book of John. We are passionate about Scripture. We believe that Scripture is authoritative. It is God's word for us today. And so we open the Bible every Sunday and we, and we look at it, we study it together. And we've been going through the book of John uh, in a series that we have entitled Real Jesus. We want to get to know the real Jesus. And John is such a helpful book for that. It shows us who Jesus is, who he was on earth, who he is. And it's, such a pretty, it's just been a brilliant book, if you ask me. We've found out so many things. And we're up to John chapter 17. One of the things we found out about Jesus uh, is that he is, was and is a man of prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. And when we think about it, we, we, we know Jesus, we've been worshipping him today, his God became flesh. And we see this in John 1, that he tabernacled, he, he came down, he made his dwelling place, he lived on earth. This is God, the creator, who, who was in the beginning, Genesis 1, in the beginning, you know, with God, he comes down, takes his place in earth. And you sort of think, well, what does, what does God do? What does he look like? One thing that is through and through his life is that he was a man of prayer. The relationship that he had with the Father is absolutely, like, it's so clear all the way through. In good times, in bad times, when he's busy, when he's not so busy, he is a man of prayer. I think if there's one thing I want you to get from this morning, is that Jesus prioritised prayer. In fact, sometimes, I spoke about this as we spoke about prayer a couple of weeks ago, it almost seems that he prioritises prayer too much. You think, well, there was a good opportunity there, Jesus, to tell everyone who you are, but actually all he does is he immediately goes away and prays. You sort of think, that's an interesting priority. This is how high Jesus prioritised prayer. When I think as a church plant leader, well, this is the time to invite them to the Alpha Course. Jesus actually, no, this is the time to go and pray. So if there's one thing I want you to get from this morning, it's this. Jesus was a man who prayed. Let's be a church who prays. It's absolutely, it's vital. It's so, so important. And I think it's part of our story as a church. I believe we've been a church that's been birthed in prayer. And I want to grow in it personally even more. And I want us to grow in it as a church even more as well. And through all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see, we see, as I said, Jesus praying in different contexts. He, and, and we see some of these prayers. And in Matthew 6, for example, we see the Lord's Prayer. The disciples know that Jesus is a man of prayer. And, and they say, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And then he teaches them, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he gives them this prayer. And it, we call it the Lord's Prayer. But more, really, it, more accurately, it's almost like it's the disciples' prayer. This is, this is what you guys can pray. In John 17... We have the privilege of seeing how Jesus prays. This is a prayer that he is praying to his Father out loud. And so we have, we have like this sneak preview, this, this, this insight into Jesus' prayer life. He prays out loud for the disciples, but obviously we today can have a look at it, we can hear it, we can see, okay, this is how Jesus prayed. And it's really important to understand the context in which he prayed. Because the few chapters before, we have found that 
Jesus has told his disciples clearly and plainly he is going to be leaving. Okay, it's a story of a lot of the gospel, is he saying it subtly, and the disciples are confused. But now he's finally said, I am leaving. He says it in 16, I'm leaving, I'm going. And they're like, oh yeah, you're going. We get it now, thank you for explaining that. And it's in this context of leaving, it's in this context of knowing what is before him, he prays. Knowing what is about to happen to him, he prays. That is the context, I'm leaving Something is going to happen to me, I'm going to pray. It's important to understand that context. And uh, what I've done, I've invited Vimbai to come and read uh, the prayer. We're not going, we're going to read it all today. I want us to enjoy just listening to the whole prayer. This is Jesus' prayer, um, and I've asked Vimbai to do it. Uh, And I will hand over to you. I don't need to say anything else, really. There you go. Morning, church. Um, So we're reading from John chapter 17. Jesus prays to be glorified. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you, have, you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory 
the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Super, thank you so much, Vimba. Okay, so what I want us to look at in this prayer is a, a, a few things. And the first thing I want us to see, we're going to split this over two weeks. It's a lot to take in in one go. So we're going to look a little bit today, and then we're going to look, we've got a guest speaker next Sunday, and the week after that we will complete the prayer. And today what I want to look at is the first few verses only. And the first thing I want us to notice when Jesus prays to his um, praise is this, that he says, Father. First word, Father. And I want us to notice that Jesus is intimate with his Father. There's this relationship that he has with his Father. And we see this in the beginning of John, that in the beginning was the Word. And we found out that that Word, in the beginning, was Jesus. And this is, and the Word was with God. And so John is talking, he's taking us all the way back to before the creation And he's saying this, in the beginning was Jesus and the Father. They were together. They were in relationship. They are together. And all the way through John, time and time again, we see Jesus say, I speak what the Father says. Me and the Father are one. In fact, even in this prayer, we see see Jesus say, I know what the Father, like I'm saying what the Father's saying. There's this intimate relationship between Jesus and Jesus. And the Father. And so when he comes to prayer, he doesn't approach God the Creator as this far off being and say, You you creating God, I come to you in prayer. He says, Father, Father. This relationship is intimate. This is a prayer language. And we can really learn from this because as we approach God, the Father, in prayer, we can, we, we can I mean, how do we say it? Do we, do we come, are we scared? Do we sort of say creator being over there who is separate from us? Answer this prayer on, you know, my family or work situation. No. Just like Jesus came to the Father, we get to come to the Father. There's this intimacy that we can have. As we come in prayer, we can say, Father. Father God, Father, it's intimacy. And so the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus is intimate with his Father. And then he goes on to say, Father, the hour has come. And it's another theme that we see the whole way through the book of John, is that this hour is coming, the hour is coming. We first see it in John chapter 2 at the wedding. There's this wedding where uh, there's running out of wine. And Jesus' mum says to him, you can do something, can't you? As if, so he's obviously doing this on a Friday night for Jesus' parents. When they don't have any wine, he turns water into wine. He, she obviously knows that he can do something about it. And she says, you can do something. And he says, no, woman, my hour has not yet come. And then there's this theme as we work our way through the book of John of this hour is coming, this hour is coming. And you sort of think, well, what is this hour? Well, we find out here that Jesus is literally on the precipice, is right before the hour. Father, the hour has come. It is 
literally around the corner. And if we take a, take a, long, take a step back in the scriptures, if we, if we go all the way back to Genesis, we see that mankind, that Adam and Eve have this decision. You see, they're walking with God. They're in relationship with God. They have this intimate relationship in, with God in the garden. And there's just this one thing that they, they, they shouldn't do. Just don't do that one thing. But the enemy comes in and says, did he really say that? Did he really say you can't do that one thing? That's because he wants, you know, he knows you'll be like him. A man takes this decision to do the one thing that God didn't allow. And in so doing, he separated himself from relationship. No longer was there this intimacy. No longer was there was this relationship between man and God there. No longer. Because man had made a decision to separate themselves from God. But we hear the first gospel message in Genesis 3.15, and it says this. God speaks to the enemy, and he gives a gospel message to the enemy. He says this. Someone's going to come, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Right as, as man separates themselves from God, God says to the enemy, an hour is coming. An hour is coming. An hour is coming. And it's the story of scripture. He will crush your head. He will crush your head. And all the way through, all the way through the Old Testament, it's like prophets rise and then fall. Kings rise, mighty David rises and then falls. Like Israel goes to God and then runs away from God and decides their own desires. It's the story of mankind. We, can, we always end up choosing our own desires. But there's this beat, there's this drum beat the whole way through. An hour was coming, an hour was coming, an hour was coming. Here we have Jesus, Father. The hour has come. Everything has been leading up to this moment. The whole of history has been leading up to this moment. The whole of history after this moment has been looking back to that moment, to that hour. What's he talking about? The cross and resurrection. He's talking about the moment that the enemy's head will be crushed. Wakey, wakey. (laughs) That's the hour. And it's this, it's, this, it's this terrifying moment. It's this moment that's terrifying for Jesus. It's terrifying for all of us. It's like, what will he do? Whole of creation holds its breath. As there's been this promise, no one's quite lived up. No, we, we, just, we just don't have a relationship with God. We're not good enough. We can't do it. Sacrifices, lambs, they just don't, they don't work. The whole of creation is holding its breath. Father, the hour has come. The Head-crushing moment. I did a bit quieter that time. I got a bit too excited the first time. The head-crushing moment is around the corner. And there's this question. What will he do? What will he do? He knows what's before him. He understands the context. He understands why he's come to earth. Even if the disciples don't, they think he's come to rule. Take over. He understands what it looks like. So he says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Glory. Glorify your son. 
cross, glory. It doesn't really seem to make sense. It seems like it's a paradox. It seems like I, I, I wouldn't put glory together with the cross. See, the cross is a place of death. It's a place where the thieves, the worst of society, would be hung. It's the worst of deaths. It's dirty, humiliating, painful, embarrassing. That, for me, doesn't equate to glory. For me, when I think about glory, I think about Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, the greatest team in the world, lifting a cup and everyone celebrating and everyone looking happy and the sun shining and I'm thinking and ribbons going off and fireworks and people spraying champagne everywhere. I'm thinking that's glory. Or Sweden winning the FIFA World Cup. That's glory. Hard to get your heads around that one, I know. Tottenham's a lot more understandable. <laughs> that, that's what I'm thinking is glory. That's the world's view of glory. Jesus says, glorify your son. But he's going to a cross. Well, the apparent death, the death of Jesus on the cross, the apparent embarrassment, humiliation of the cross actually becomes Jesus' glorifying moment as he deals with the enemy. Glorify me. In this strange way that we don't necessarily get. The cross, it looks so bad. Actually, it's that moment that the whole of creation has been looking to and all history, everything has been pointing to. That is the moment of glory. The moment that all those years before when man said, not interested, God, I'm going after my own way. That moment that made relationship with God again possible. That moment that now we can pray, Father, that we now can come to creator God, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and say, Father. It's this incredible, glorious moment. The cross is glorious. Jesus is glorified on it because of what he achieved on that cross. But notice... He doesn't keep the glory for himself. It says this, glorify your son. You you can go there if you want, actually. I've not got any other slides today. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So even Jesus is asking the father for glory. He says, why do I want glory, father, so that I can glorify you? It's this theme. Again, there's another theme that goes through the book of John. Jesus reflects God's glory. He's here on earth to show people God, to show people his glory. And so he says, glorify me on the cross. Why? So that I can give you glory. It's directed, it's always directed as the Father. Jesus is more focused on the Father and his glory than on the pain of the cross that is about to come. We're talking about hours before his death. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. It must be horrifically scary, terrifying, terrifying. Okay, God became man. He was man. It's not like some invincible Captain Marvel. 
Is that such a person? There it is. This is God become man. Terrifying. Yeah, he says it's for your glory. Incredibly. You know, Mark 14. He prays in the garden, not what I will, but what you will. Take this cup from me, if you can. He's scared. He's terrified. We see him sweating blood. There's anguish. So he prays, take this away from me. Please, if there's any way, take it away from me. But not my will, what you will. Because I'm all about your glory, God. That's what I'm all about. That's what Jesus says. Is give me glory so you can get glory. It's what Jesus is all about. And as we look at Jesus, he challenges us in the same way. As we look at Jesus, we, we stand with always with decisions. See, Jesus will challenge us. God will challenge us. He will. It's being a disciple. It's being a follower of Jesus. We will be discipled. We, 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 we will be challenged. Sorry. Our values. Perhaps you became a Christian when you were a bit older. The values that you've been brought up with by your family or your friends or your colleagues. Even if you became a Christian when you were young. Perhaps your, Christ, your, friend, your family aren't Christians or your, or your friends' influence. The values that you've been taught. Maybe, perhaps the Bible, perhaps Jesus says, that's not, that's, that's not what I want, how I want you to value. Sex, finances, time. And we stand in this terrifying moment. It's like, do, do, we, do we please ourselves or do we please God? Because he will challenge us. If you've not been challenged so far, you will be challenged by God. You know, perhaps you can agree with Jesus' views on, poor, on the poor. He loved the poor. Yes, he did. Absolutely. I, I, I get with that. I, I'm behind that. But his views on finances, his views on hell, I'm not behind that. And what we see here, when Jesus, he's like, if there's any way to take it away from me, please take it away from me, but not my will, your will be done. We see Jesus take this this moment of terrifying challenge for him and said, you know what, it's for your glory. If you want me to do it, I'm going for it. Not my will, but your will. And we have this opportunity to do the same. Do you know what, my values, they're different to yours, Jesus, on this matter. But I want to be shaped by the Bible. I want to be shaped by you. I want to become more like you, Jesus. And we, we, we see how we respond. Do we respond, do we run towards God and say, yeah, not my will, but your will be done? Or do we say, actually, do you know what? My will be done. My values are more important than your values. This is what Paul says in the uh, book of Philippians, chapter 3. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul gets it. Paul gets it. He says, I count everything as loss. This body, I count as loss. 
I want to know you, Jesus. Every value that I've had before, every financial gain that I've had, everything that I own, everything, my whole body, everything, I count as loss. I just want to know you. I want to go after you. What an amazing attitude. It's why we're called Good Fest. Potentially a bit of a strange sounding name to some people. Good Fest. Why are we called Good Fest? Because it says this is who we are. We want to be a people who put God first. A people who say, not my will, but your will be done. Even when it's extremely terrifying and scary, we say, to you be the glory. To you be the glory, God. It's, it's discipleship. It's becoming more like Jesus. He's going to challenge us. He's going to change us. And it's for his glory. And we can count everything as loss because we get to know Jesus. And that's my final point. He goes on to pray. You granted, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. It's important to, in the book of John, we hear, again, it's another theme of John, we hear this word eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. And you still think, well, what's eternal life? Is it some mystical sort of place out there? What is eternal life? Here, Jesus explains it, he defines it. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, it can be like a massive subject. Books and books and books can be written about, you know, eternal life. But the bottom line is this, this is what Jesus says, it's knowing you, God, it's knowing me. That is eternal life. What it is is this, Garden, relationship broken. Jesus' death on the cross, resurrection this hour, which means that we can have eternal life. It means that the relationship has been restored. That's eternal life. It's what it's all about. Jesus came to bring us into this relationship, this place where we can say we're friends of God. We're friends of God. We're friends of God. It's amazing. This, this, this is what Jesus has achieved for us. He's restored this relationship that we lost all those years ago. And now we can come to God. We can say, Father, he, he calls us friends, not enemies. It's amazing. God. Friend. Father. Children. This is eternal life. Knowing God. And it starts now and it goes on forever. What will heaven look like? I don't know. You can have a theological debate about that. You can have all sorts of different views, I'm sure. <laughs> and it's massive smile. I'm ready. <laughs> but the reality is this. It's going to be knowing God forever. don't know exactly what it will look like. But it's going to be knowing God. We will see him face to face. Wow. That's amazing. We're going to see God face to face. We're going to be with him. This relationship is going to be stored. We'll be able to walk with him. It's like, wow. Boy, I had a tough week this week. But I'm a son of God. Life is tough. Yes. There are going to be values that are going to be shaken and changed in us. And we're going to be like, "Mm, that's not what I was taught. But you're a friend of God. You're a child of God. God. 
Of course you're going to look different to what you used to look like. Of course you're going to have different values. We're in relationship. We're built in relationship with God. And this is eternal life. It's incredible. There's just nothing like this. There's nothing like this. It's grace. It's the message of grace. Friends of God. We don't need to live life thinking, have we made the grade? Have we impressed God enough? When we meet him, is he going to say, no, you just didn't do enough? You didn't come to church enough. You didn't give enough. You didn't serve the poor enough. You didn't pray enough. No. Because of Jesus, because of this hour, right now he's brought us into relationship with God. Right now we're seated in heavenly places. We're with him. It's eternal life, knowing God. Alad, if you can come up, please. No wonder Paul says he counts everything else as rubbish. No wonder he says everything else is rubbish. Because he knows God. Knowing God or everything else we have. Of course Paul can say, oh, that's that's rubbish. I know God. Let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. Let's be a people who say everything else is rubbish. I want to know you, God. Just as Jesus said, do you know what? In this moment, in this hour, it's scary, but Lord, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be glorified. Let's be a people who just go after God. Let him challenge you. It's the gospel. Relationship broken, Genesis. Jesus comes, Father, the hour has come. The cross and resurrection, relationship restored. It's the gospel. Not out of works that man may boast. It's all because of Jesus. It's just amazing. And we're going to finish, we're going to finish with a little bit of worship. We're going to sing. And we're also going to take communion. We're going to have an opportunity to